but I'm not letting the internet in general direct my work because that would be a massive mistake. Like I'm directing my work. This is the thing is everyone blames Instagram. Like Instagram doesn't show my images to the world or YouTube doesn't show my videos to the world. And But yeah, we know that because we know their businesses. They don't care about your work. The better your photography gets, the less popular it might be because I think good is not popular. Like popular isn't a sign of good. Hello fellow photographers, in this episode I'm talking with Sean Tucker about street photography, portrait photography, social media and much more. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Make sure you subscribe if you want to be notified when I post new episodes. And also there is one thing I would love you to do. I would be very thankful if you could go and give this podcast 5 star rating and a review. If you like this content and you think other people might enjoy it as well, feel free to take a screenshot and throw it out on your Instagram story or share it with your friends. All the information can be also found in the description. Now, without any further ado, let's talk about photography. My guest today is photographer, filmmaker and writer Sean Tucker. Hi Sean, thank you for joining me today. Hey man, nice to be with you. How are you doing? Yeah, good. How are you? Yeah, it's a little early for me, but yeah. <laughs> so, um, you have recently moved to Yorkshire from London, which you mm. knew pretty well, right? And much of your photography until then took place in the streets of London, right? How does this change uh, of the environment impact your street photography? Uh, I mean, it obviously changes stuff. Like, I mean, uh, in London, I would have taking photographs mostly, I suppose, South Bank, Soho, kind of around the city. Um, and especially during lockdown and stuff around Wandsworth and sort of Wimbledon, my kind of area where I lived. Um, and there's something about walking the same sort of streets over and over again. You get to know things and how things change and what the light does quite well. So I suppose moving means I have to start all that again. Like I have to learn a new place. And also London is an amazing city to take photographs in. There's always something going on. There's lots of visual interest. So in some ways it's a lot easier to take photographs in a city like London. But I knew I knew all that before I moved. Like I knew I'm moving to a new place. I'm actually in a village um just north of the city of York. And York, I mean I think London is something like eight million people. York yeah. is two hundred two hundred thousand people. So we're going from like massive to much smaller. But I I was looking forward to that challenge because you know, you go to a smaller place and it's got a lot more character one. Like there's loads of history in York. It's it's one of those um that's still got all the ancient walls all the way around the city. You know, there's a there's a big Viking heritage there as well as a as kind of British and Saxon heritage. So there's lots of kind of cultural mixes and influences as well. Um the streets have a very particular look. Like there's um there's a there's a big sort of uh uh, people are very interested in like the supernatural. This is kind of the, the the part of the country where you get the myths for from like Frankenstein and all those kind of things have sprung out of this part of the world. And then you've got the kind of Harry Potter influences. You know, the, okay. they've got they've got a whole street there called the Shambles, which is just these old buildings that look like they're falling in on each other. That was some say the influence for Diagon Alley. So they've got all these like Harry Potter shops, and then you go around the corner, and then you've got shops which are just like. Um, armor and swords and battle axes and those kind of things. So it's a really interesting place. And I, I like the challenge of being able to take photographs in a new place because I, I think the problem with a city like London 
is it has thousands of street photographers in it. And in some ways, it just looks like any other city in the world. You know, it's when you get in the middle of like the, the, the business district, it just looks like glass and steel. It could be kind of a lot of different cities and it doesn't necessarily have a lot of that character. You've got to look for it. So coming here, I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to have to start again. It's going to be smaller, but it's a, it's a chance to look for more, more character and change things up. And I like the idea that my photography will now change, you know, it'll shift to something new because if all I can do is take photographs in London, then I'm not a very good photographer. I have to be able to take photographs anywhere I go and make them interesting. So yeah, it's, I've just taken it as a challenge, you know? And do you have, um, during your photography process, when you, you know, come to a new place like, like this one, do you have some kind of method, something you do when you are struggling to find an inspiration? If you actually have days like those when nothing seems to be photographable? Um, yeah, I mean, there are lots of days where I come back with nothing. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't think there's anything you can do about that. You know, I think uh, I think the only thing you can do is do something over the long term. But you'll always get days where you don't get anything. I often come home with no photos. Um, like yesterday, yesterday I was out in York um, and I was meeting a few people for coffee and I was going to do some photography in between. I walked around. The light was flat. It was quite busy, so I couldn't get any clean frames and I got nothing. But that's okay because, you know, I still went out with a camera with the intention to take photographs. And that's that's all I can really ask for myself. So now it's just a case of going, well, when can I get back next? And uh, what can I maybe learn from that situation? There's nothing. There's no substitute, though, for just you keep going out. You keep going out to take photographs. And some days you'll get a ton and some days you'll get zero. But over time, hopefully you'll build a body of work and grow. Because I can imagine in in London you you had place you knew you could you know fall back or you you knew how the light works there, mm -hmm. so uh, so it's more like observing for for the future if you know the the light is right. Yeah, yeah, it's learning it's learning your it's learning your area it's learning your style of photography it's learning you know how people interact in a space if you're photographing on the street and it's people it's learning how light changes if you're if you're a street photo photographer or if you're a landscape photographer what light does in different places like it's everything every time you go out you know coming back with photographs is almost an extra thing because the the thing that will happen every single time you go out is you'll learn something even if you don't come back with photos i think we're in this instagram age where <clears throat> the only reason we think we should go out is to get photos that we can post to Instagram for instant attention. But that's not really the reason to go out. It's it's to play the longer game, to build a body of images over 20, 30 years, over a career. And that doesn't happen every single day you go out. How could it happen every time you go out? But what you can do is learn something every time you go out. And you will. If, you, if you're aware and you're awake while you're out there shooting, you're going to learn things that's going to help you take better photos next week or next month even if you can't work it out on the day maybe you just come home and you go i just got zero today you know but you sit and you think about it you're like i wonder why and then two days later you go hang on a minute maybe i should have tried and then you go back and you try that thing and then something happens you know so it's just repeating it over and over again i like how you talked about how old art completed its cycle when it's appreciated by someone else mm -hmm. um Are the social networks still a good platform for that or are there more shifting t 
towards marketing? Of course, they're amazing for that. I mean, I mean, I think a lot of people like to hate on social media because, you know, everyone's angry with it for different reasons. And most people are just angry with it because it's not giving them the thing that they want. You know, they want fame or they want money. And I I posted 100 images and I'm not famous yet. And they're angry about it. And so and so is getting thousands of likes. And why does he get I don't because I'm better than him. And it's just this weird, competitive, angry space. But at the end of the day, like we live in a world now. I mean, you think you go back like two, three hundred years to artists who wanted to make work and show it to the world. How how on earth did a painter show his paintings to the world 300 years ago? Yeah. The chances that some guy who's really good at something and just in a village somewhere, isolated from the world, can get a lot of eyeballs on his work was impossible. The chances were so small. He'd have to get like some rich lord or, or like, or the church would have to commission him to like pay him money so he didn't have to work in the field so he could just concentrate on painting and that happened to a tiny fraction of people but we live in a world now where we have all these online platforms where we can create something and share it online to potentially have the whole world see it in a second that's that's an incredible gift now yes it's like messy and the chances that the whole world will see it are still very, very small, but the potential is there like never before. So for me, it's all about how you use social media. If you if you understand that like we have this opportunity to be able to share our work in this way of sharing our work, but you keep your expectations low, I think it's good. Like, so if I, if I go out there and I take photographs, and I mean, you know, it's, it, some people say it's easy for me to say that because I've got a big social media following, but I didn't always have. Like, you go back five years, I had maybe 500,000 people following me on Instagram, which is kind of normal for lots of people who are photographers, you know. Um, like, I would share images, and I would still, even back then, go, wow, this is amazing that I get to share this. And then someone new will see something that I did and comments, and we can have a talk about it. it was still a gift, even back then, when my following was, like, smaller. Um, and I, if you take it like that, and you don't go, like, yeah, but the whole point is to get, like, hundreds of thousands of followers, and I'm angry that I don't get that. Well, then it's probably not a good thing for you, because it sounds like you have the kind of mental... Um, expectations that are actually just going to make you miserable and sad, in which case, stay away from it. If you, if you can see the good that it is and use it for that and not get sucked into the bad that it can be because you have too high expectations or you get angry that it's not giving you the world. Yeah, then go for it. But yeah, it is there. Uh, you, I mean, you use the word marketing. Yes, there's a lot of marketing. Um, and yes, a lot of people only are only on there to try and market themselves, but that's down to your own personal integrity. That's not like anyone else's fault. How you use your channel. This is the thing is everyone blames Instagram. Like Instagram doesn't show my images to the world or YouTube doesn't show my videos to the world. And But yeah, we know that because we know their businesses. They don't care about your work. Like Instagram doesn't care about my photography. They don't, they don't even know who I am. YouTube doesn't care about my videos. It, it just wants to sell adverts to people that it can put on videos. Like, but we know that's the case, but the way I use my channel is up to me. So I'm going to make videos, for example, that might not get seen by as many people as some other channels, but I'm going to make videos that I care about and share them with people, hoping that they come to watch them. And if they, if YouTube promotes them or doesn't promote them, it, it kind of doesn't matter because I made the thing I'm proud of and I can't expect YouTube to work for me because they're working for themselves. They don't care about me. So as long as you, as long as you have like a sober view of all that stuff and make work you're proud of and keep your expectations in check, then yeah, absolutely use it for sure.
And the dark side of that, because um, y- you you have on your Instagram, you describe it as your scrapbook where you try to, to post daily. So you post probably whatever you like, but even though it is a medium for online presentation, right? So has it ever influenced you in a sense that some pictures just work better than other? What do you mean by work better though? Do you mean I like mean, get the response? Yeah, get the response because like, uh, you know, some people sometimes say, okay, so I, I took this picture, but this wouldn't necessarily connect with my audience, right? And then I, I might like, you know, w- when people are driven by the yeah. views and likes, but you said you, you, you post like uh, whatever you want, which, which is which seems to me maybe now a little bit easier when you have like better following and people are, you know, accepting what you do. But earlier in your stage, uh, had you ever been limited by, you know, what you post on social media because yeah. you tried it to build, if, if I'm clear? Yeah, it's, it's kind of the opposite of what you're saying, though, because, <clears throat> I mean, you say like, well, it's easier now because... I've got to follow and people get what I'm doing. It's actually harder now because when when no one was following me, I could post whatever I wanted and I didn't have anyone coming around to troll me to say, I don't like this image. <laughs> okay. Now now when I do it, I've got a lot of people who will jump on a guy, I don't get this. What are you doing? This is crap. And I have that often. So actually there's more attention. So if, if I wanted to, I mean, I'm the opposite of someone who tries to play the algorithm or, or thinks that an image works or doesn't work because it gets X number of likes. In fact, The truth is the images of mine I really like always get less likes and they always get less attention. They always get more trolls. But but I'm not letting the Internet in general direct my work because that would be a massive mistake. Like I'm directing my work and just because. And let, let, let's be frank about it. like I'm going to be really honest about it. like most of the people who follow me are beginner photographers. Uh huh. Like what a mistake it would be if I'm if I'm not a beginner photographer. I'm I've I've been doing this a little while. If I was letting beginner photographers direct my work by telling me what I should or shouldn't do, or or me listening to them liking or not liking, it's like I would be progressing in my photography, looking back at people who are just beginning making a noise and changing my work to try please beginners. What a mistake that would be. Instead of going, well, no, I don't, it doesn't matter what they think about it because I know what I'm trying to do. I know where I'm going. I mean, I don't have all the answers, but I can see a direction. And I also know that, and I think this is true for everyone, the better your photography gets, the less popular it might be. Because I think good is not popular. Like popular isn't a sign of good. Um, I mean, like the, the biggest Instagram accounts out there are like of, of cats, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's that's the fact. It's like, or, or people who take the clothes off. Like that's the stuff that people want to see. So I'm like, what, do I need to start taking thousands of photographs of cats and naked women? Oh yeah, that will get more popularity. doesn't mean my photography got better. But if I if I strip my photography down to what I think is good and, and, and start moving forward with it, then it's going to be less accessible for beginners, but, but people who really know what they're looking at, like more professional photographers or people who understand how to look at photography, they'll get it, but that's a smaller group. So to try and think that the social media score is a sign that your photography is getting better is a big mistake to make, I think. So I've always, and this is true. I mean, I've, I've never deleted a photograph from Instagram. I've got like over two and a half thousand photographs on my Instagram. That's because from when I started on there 10 years ago, I just said, well, I'm going to post everything. So you can scroll right back to when I was crap and just starting out. And I leave it all up there because I think it's an interesting teaching tool for people to see how a photographer can develop. 
you know, when you just leave it all accessible. Now, if I wanted to impress people or play the social media game, I go back and I'd strip it down to my favorite 200 photographs of that. And then I just repost them like a lot of photographers do, you know, post the same kind of hero images. That's if I was going to play the social media game, but I don't care because I, I want to keep moving. And even if people don't get it, I'm going to let my photography keep developing. So that's like when you say the dark side, I think you're right. That's what you have to be careful of. If you're, if you, if you think that feeding the social media machine is a sign or, and, and getting like more likes on the chart or better comments from people in general who don't know you, don't know what you're trying to do. You don't even know if they're good photographers. If that's the game you're playing, you're hijacking your own work and, and, and pleasing a crowd you're never going to meet who you don't know if they know what they're talking about. Not talking about pleasing the crowd, but should you keep some kind of connection with your audience? Because like, for example, when we look at the movies, right? I sometimes go to like a film festival and I see some kind of art movie, right? And I'm just thinking about, well, well, I don't really get it. And is there like a, it, it might be because of my ignorance, because I don't understand the, the art well, but sometimes it feels that the artist goes like too far away from its audience. Or do you think it's just a regular process or is it like, sh should artists care about connecting with the audience at least on some level yeah i think so but i think it's a case of w defining who you want your audience to be like i think if you if you mean like audience as in everybody i think that's the mistake but for me for example i'll give you an example so um when it comes to my youtube channel for example i've got um almost it's like getting close to half a million subscribers on there But if you look at my videos, um, they only get like 40, 50,000 views in general, which means only 10% of those subscribers even watch the videos anymore. Most of them watched a tutorial where they wanted information one day about photography, like how to shoot headshots or whatever, and they click subscribe. And then the next few videos I posted were more philosophical, me talking about stuff. And they're like, oh no. And then they forgot about me and they moved on. Now, if I'm trying to think about that audience who've already moved on, who just wanted a quick technical tip, that would be a mistake. But I know that at the core of that subscriber group are a group who keep following me, who, who are more interested in those philosophical videos, which they can tell are the things that I care about. Um, so if I, if you're saying like, should an artist care about their audience? I don't think I should care about the big subscriber number, but I should care about that core who keep following along, who are, who are connected and regular and who are interested in the thing I'm most interested in. That's my touchstone with like, with, with that audience. So yes, yes, but limited. Yes, but you should care about that core because the problem is, is people who just come and check on your work and check out, they, they'll come back every now and again and they'll try to direct you, but they don't really care about what you're doing. I think that's the mistake is when you start directing your work based on people who just are around very rarely and don't really care and almost dropping in those little bits of direction or a power trip for them. They just want to see if they can affect and direct stuff instead of saying, no, let me work on that. There's a great article I've talked about in a video, um, by a guy named Kevin Kelly called a thousand true fans. I don't know if you come across this article, but he basically says that any artist can make a living if they can build a thousand true fans. Um, and that is anyone who will, you know, come out to a talk you give or, 
or buy your book if you bring it out or anything like that. So uh, maybe, maybe hit, maybe join a Patreon. Um, I think, yes, absolutely. Every artist should care about their like quote unquote thousand true fans. And it's not meant to be taken as a literal number. Every artist should care deeply about their thousand true fans. But beyond that, when it starts to get to people who don't really care, but check in and out. No, I think you can safely ignore most of that stuff because it's full of varied opinions and trolls and people who just want to try direct stuff. And it gets confusing if you start trying to please them or communicate too much with them, I think. Okay, so you define your audience and it's just like much smaller group than, you know, everyone. When when we see yeah. like those photography channels who create like a lot of gear reviews and stuff like all over the place. So that's mm. that's not really your approach, right? No, I don't care about gear. I mean, I talk about it a lot on the channel. I don't I don't really care. I mean, I don't mind talking about it, but it's the kind of thing where I don't think I don't think cameras take good photographs i think photographers do so get the right tool in your hand and then just get on with the job and the right tool might have any brand label and it doesn't matter um and i mean what i said about uh subscriber numbers versus viewer numbers is true for every bigger channel by the way go check any big photography channel you follow and you'll notice that they have a big subscriber number and then go check their videos and see what sort of average views they're getting on their videos it's just the way it works lots of people hit subscribe and move on and forget about you it's just the nature of youtube They're not engaged followers. So yeah, I think everyone needs to strip everything down and focus on the people who are still with you. Those are the people you're talking to regularly. One thing I noticed uh, on your Instagram, you post almost regularly one black and white photo and one color one, mm. right? What is your approach to black and white photography? Because I'm wondering, is the design choice made when you take the photo or after you see it and you import it? Uh, I mean, I shoot raw, so everything is shot in color. And I, I think I, the choice to turn something black and white in post always comes from, I mean, it, I think it's as simple as if there's something interesting in the image that's colorful, it stays, it stays in color. If it's more to do, if there's no real color interest in the shot, but the shapes and the shadows are more interesting, it'll probably go to black and white. And that's how I decide. Uh, I was asking because there is sometimes this notion that If you want to be like a good black and white photographer, you have to think in black and white, either like take a, I don't know, like black and white film or monochrome or something like that and just, you know, mm. keep focused on something. So that's not, it's yeah. more like how how the image looks like at the end, you decide whether yeah. it's worth it to leave the color in or take it out. Yeah, I, no, I, I mean, personally, I don't subscribe to that philosophy because I feel like in, the, in our digital era, we're shooting on raw files anyway. So all the information is in there and you can choose to go color or black and white later. That's how a digital file works. Um, and I, I, I want to stay um, as loose and, and available as possible when I'm shooting. So I want to take a photograph of something that I think is interesting. If I'm, if I'm locked into, I'm only shooting black and white now, black and white. That means if there is something interesting in color that I'm not available to it, I'm not, uh, my head's in a different space. I want to just be able to walk around and go, I'm, I'm going to take a photograph of anything that catches my attention, color or black and white and capture it all and then choose later how I want to process it. Um, so yeah. And I, and I also want to stay, um, As a photographer, I mean, what you're seeing me do on something like Instagram is play and experiment. It's not that's not my portfolio at all. I mean, I throw up a lot of images on there that I think aren't very good, but there's something interesting in them. So it's that's why I call it a scrapbook. It's me playing with ideas. And as I'm playing with ideas, I want to play with ideas in color and black and white as much so that I can stay good at both. 
so I can keep working on both. Yeah. But no, I don't, I don't, I never kind of lock myself in today. I'm only shooting color today. I'm only shooting black and white. Cause then I'll miss the other half. What if I say I'm only shooting color and I see a load of photographs in a day that would have been brilliant in black and white, but I didn't take them because I was too locked into, I'm only doing this today. What a shame. Yeah. I want to be able, I want to be able to respond to anything that happens, you know? And can it be maybe useful for projects? Because I can imagine if you present like a book of a specific project, maybe like a documentary photography, and you post like one, you know, black and white image, one color one, one like if it should sustain some kind of format. Yeah, if you're doing a project, for sure, I think you have to choose what that project's going to look like. And you, you might not do it at the start. Personally, I do. I mean, I've If I begin a project, I know up front, like I'm starting one now. I, I know when it comes to a project, it will all be in color. This particular project I want to do, no black and white images. Um, and I already know the sort of color grade I want on these images. I know that up front. But that's for a project. Like I'm never going to just take the same approach. Like, oh, bit of color, bit in black and white. We'll see what happens in an actual project. I'm going to mood board it. I'm going to plan it out better because it's not just me experimenting daily. That's why I say there's a big difference between my Instagram, which isn't, it's not a project and it's not a portfolio. It's just experimentation. But hopefully those black and white skills and those color skills will do me well when I do a project like this. Now I know, okay, exactly what sort of color I want in this whole project. Maybe the next one's black and white. I've done all that practice on the street shooting black and white as well. I know what sort of toning I want to put on those black and white images for that black and white project for sure. So yeah, I think having a visual consistency in a project is, is really important unless you don't care. But I think it helps to communicate a stronger message if you work on having a look to the work here. And why does image work in black and white for you? Is it because of the shapes or the information? Yeah, I think uh, I think there's I've definitely, I th black and white is good for accentuating shape for sure. Um, especially if you work hard at sort of toning and contrast. I think it, it can it can accentuate that. And I think it's also the way people take in black and white. When people view a black and white, because we don't see in black and white, um, we do see in color. So seeing black and white is almost giving, and this is why I think a lot of people, you know, the, the cliche of they, they turn bad photography into black and white, hoping it'll make it better, you know, because I think they think, well, let, let me show people a way to see this photograph that they wouldn't have seen if they just saw it on the street normally. They think it's going to give people a, a different view or elevate it slightly. And it does for some people. They they do look with more interest at black and white images. But I think you have to be really careful about doing that because I think it's got to be it's got to be a great photograph that you choose to put into black and white for a purpose. But yeah, I think it yeah, I think it's that combination we don't see in black and white, so it's an extra layer of interest. And it it definitely forces you to look at the shape in an image because you're pulling the color out. And the colors are more about like emotions or is it just, you know, the color theory, if it works, it works. I don't, it's just, uh, it's just colors that grab attention. I mean, it's, it's basic like visual theory for me. I, I, I'm not somebody who, who attaches emotions to colors really. because I think everybody can do that and everyone will come up with different answers. So I don't think it's helpful for communicating something specific. You know, one person, you're going to show them red, they're going to go, oh, it's angry. Another person's <laughs> going to go, oh, it's oh, it's love. It's like, well, then it doesn't matter. If everyone's going to make up their own thing, it doesn't matter to me. Um, but it's more to do with how does it lead a viewer through the image? So our human eye is drawn to the brightest thing in the image, area of highest contrast, 
higher saturated colors or human faces. So you're just, when I'm using color in an image, it's, it's to walk you through the image in the way I want you to view it. That's how I use it. It's more to tell the story a bit better and to help you take the image in the way that I intended on top of the composition that I'm using. But no, I'm not always, I can't control the color on the street. So, mm. so I, I, I'm not necessarily adding emotion to it because of that. And everyone will have a different take on it. It might, it might be different if I'm taking portraits um, because then I'm controlling the situation. So I might ask somebody to wear a particular color uh, top or clothing with, with the image because I want that to convey either a softness to the image or a harshness or a whatever or a vibrancy. That, that might be a choice that would convey a feeling to an image for sure. But yeah, when I'm out and about, it's, it's more about whatever draws my eye that I then will know will draw other people's eye. I like how you talked uh, in your video about finding a style and that it is a slow work to try a lot of different things and then eventually uh, you find what works for you, right? And we have already talked about it. You said you are not limited on like your online presence, what you what you post, uh, right? Uh, so I'm wondering, how do you become consistent and not limited to your style? Yeah, I... It's always a funny question. This one, I don't, I don't completely understand why people ask it. Like, I'll take and I'll tell you why. Because I did a video a little while ago on consistency, um, and why can if you want to build a following around your work, or you want to to make money with your photography and get clients coming in, consistency is very important. Having a style that's recognizable is very important. Um, but when I posted that video, so many people went, well. But I, I want freedom, man. I don't want to be locked into a style. I want to be able to shoot whatever I want to shoot. But I don't know why people hear that if you're going to build consistency in your work, you suddenly become like your own dictatorial boss who won't let you play. Like that's not what it is. It's choosing a style or developing a style for your work is a choice. And you're making the choice. So you're in charge. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. But it, you can't get away from the fact that if you want people to hire you, They have to see what sort of style photography you do and then work out if they like that style and they want to hire you for that style. If your photography is a mess and a mix of all different things, they don't know which which of those people is going to rock up on the day they hire you. So they don't know what sort of photography they're going to get. So it makes it very hard for them to hire you. But I think like a, a style, developing a style should be an exciting thing, not an oppressive thing. Like if you're oppressing yourself with your style, you're making a big mistake. Like that's not what it's for. Like my, my style, like I'll get people every now and again on Instagram who go, I could tell immediately when I saw this photograph that it was your photograph. So that's obviously them recognizing a visual style in my work, but I don't feel like I'm oppressed and I can't experiment because I'm doing that to myself. I'm feeling like, Oh, that's great. So the more I shoot, I'm, I'm getting little habits, little good habits in my work that I do more often. So I shoot a, a particular sort of light. I like hard light. Um, I, I feature particular colors in my photographs because those are colors I like. It's all like. It's not me bullying myself. I like those. It's it's toning those images in black and white in a particular way, working on similar contrast ratios in my shots, using particular aspect ratios to frame my images. All those things are my personal choices because I like those things. Does it mean that I have to shoot like that forever now? No, of course not. Why would I stop changing? Of course, I still need to keep experimenting and changing and growing all the time. It's not I'm not locking myself in and saying I can never do anything different now. I, I have to keep growing and I have to keep changing and, and progressing and evolving. But 
but style is a choice and it should be a choice you're excited to make an experiment and play with. And, and I, I think that question often comes from people, people who say like, Oh yeah, but I don't want a style cause I want freedom to shoot everything. <laughs> it comes from beginner photographers who are insecure about the fact that they know their work doesn't really have any style yet. It's all a mess of everything, but that's good. You have to start there. You have to start by giving yourself permission to shoot everything. Like if you go back to the beginning of my Instagram, you are going to see for the first few years, it's just a hot mess. There's everything in there. You can see me experimenting with loads of different things. And that's how everyone has to start. So enjoy that stage. But over time, you will start to make choices because you like things and you don't like other things. And your style emerges organically. And that's a good thing because every great photographer you know has a style you can recognize. And they got there with that experimentation. But they don't feel oppressed by their own style. They like it. It's a choice. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't, yeah, I, I don't think people need to be afraid of that or think it's, if, if you don't feel you want to have a style and you want to experiment, you're almost certainly a beginner photographer and it's what you should be doing. So do it and enjoy it. And maybe your style will come later. You don't have to bully yourself with it. What is your take on telling a story versus good aesthetics? Like, should every photo have a story? No, I mean, I, I don't think so. I, th I think there is such a thing. I did a video um, last year, beginning of last year, with a guy named Martin Rotz from um, the Netherlands. Um, and he uses a long focal length lens and he just takes photographs of like the corner of walls where the light's falling in interesting angles. It's all abstract. It's just shape and color, shape and color in every photograph. There's no story in it. It's just, it's just beautiful to look at. He's a designer. That's where he comes from is the world of design. So he's almost using his camera like a design tool, which I think is beautiful. And I think his work is amazing. I, I, I sing his praises all the time and he's so creative, you know, but does his photograph tell a story? No, I don't think so. I mean, you can, you can make something up if you want, but there's no obvious story in his photographs, but it doesn't have to, because I don't think every photograph has to tell a story. Um, if you're a street photographer, maybe you want your photograph to tell a story. Maybe you don't. I don't think my photographs tell a story particularly. I think my photograph is probably somewhere in between street photography and what Martin does. It's more abstract. It's more about light and shape and space than like telling a story about people interacting with each other. Um, but I know street photographers, like I've just done a video with a guy named Josh Edgoose, who's a spicy meatball on Instagram. And he, all his photographs tell stories. There's lots going on in the frames and people interacting with each other. It really comes down to what you're trying to do. What do you care about? And it's a choice. And that's the beauty of photography is you can use it for any of those things. You can use it for pure aesthetics. You can use it for pure storytelling, or you can try and combine the two. It's just, again, like the more you shoot, the more you're going to work out what you care about, what you want to say, what's, what's important to you. And that's where your style will emerge, not just aesthetically, but also how are people going to be in your images? What do you want them to be doing or saying? Or do you only want to make, make images that tell stories? Or do you only want to make images that, that draw people's eye because there's something visually interesting about them? Do you want to mix them? It's a choice. And is it something you would like to, you know, develop maybe in like projects? Because I believe like, I think uh, in projects, it might be more important, you know, to tell a story and not be like, um, not have like strong single images that are presented on like, you know, Instagram and stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, Martin Martin does photography projects there that are pure aesthetics. He does gallery exhibitions where the whole thing is only aesthetics. So it doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. But yeah, personally, I do want to get more into documentary photography, which is all storytelling. So yeah, that's that's a direction I I personally want to go. But that's because that's a challenge I want to give myself because it's an area of photography I've always been fascinated by, that I've never really dived into. So this next photography project, I'm trying to get going at the moment. It's like early days is going to be more storytelling. It's going to be more documentary, uh, more people-focused. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, 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 there's lots of different sorts of photography projects you could do. Like, like, I mean, you can't tell a landscape photographer that, hey, your next photography project or your next book needs to be storytelling because it's very hard to tell a story <laughs> with yeah. landscapes. It just, it, it, it is, your project is going to dictate how much story is in there. But for documentary... For sure, for some street stuff, for sure, you know. Uh, we talked about uh, the changes in your street photography with the environment, and are you looking for change also in your portrait photography? Because I can imagine the studio usually looks pretty same every time, right? Would you like to? Would you like to? Mm, not improve, but you know, maybe move your portrait photography. Try new things. Yep, always. I mean. My photography, portrait photography has changed a lot over the years, but it sort of changes in increments. Um, so, I mean, I went through a stage like everybody who's, you start shooting portraits with natural light, then maybe you learn how to use a speed light and then you get quite excited and you realize, oh gosh, look at all the things I can do with a speed light. And then you start adding more speed lights and more speed lights. And before you know it, you've got studio strobes and you've got six of them and then colored <laughs> gels and all different modifiers. And it gets quite visually complicated. But then I think for me, I realized... I didn't like the complicated, so I started to strip it back then. And I worked it back mostly to one light. So most of the portraits I shoot these days is just one light, and it's become much simpler. But yeah, now I'm starting to feel if you do stick with one light, you need to work quite hard to make your your images visually different from each other or have their own character. So now again, I'm trying to work out new things to try to create more visual interest in other ways, um, different sorts of backdrops, different subjects, different ways of drawing people out on camera. So yeah, that's always evolving for sure. I don't want it to get too samey, but yeah, it's, it's a hard thing portraits because it's, it is, it's almost like with street photography, you can just go to a different place and see different things and take photographs. There's new stuff in the context, but with, with portraits, you have to create that new stuff from your head because it all comes out of you. So every time you start a portrait session, it's a blank canvas. I have to pull out a backdrop color to use. I have to pull out the light to use and the modifier to use. It all has to come out of my brain. And I think for that reason, it's harder because all the variation has to come out of your ideas. Um, so, yeah, and that comes down to like looking at lots of other people, what other people do, trying to generate ideas from the great portrait photographers that went before from, from Avedon and Irvin Penn and Peter Lindbergh and people who I really like what they do, you know. When you took uh, portraits of the Himba tribe in Namibia, uh, I believe you took just one picture of each person, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but but then when you photograph your mentors, I bet you had a lot of images, and then you selected one image of each of your mm-hmm. mentor, right? Uh, that, that was on your wall, in your in your videos. What were you looking for when? you made that selection? Why did you pick those particular images? It's it's the same reason 
in anything. I mean, in fact, I mean, those those particular shoots were actually pretty quick as well. Like I maybe only took 30 to 50 images of each of them. Um, whereas if I do a headshot session with somebody, I can take three to 450 images, like 300 to 450 images in an hour long headshot session. But I'm always, I'm always looking for, um, an honest moment with somebody like you always trying to catch somebody where they, where you feel like the guards are down a little bit and you're getting who they, they really are. Um, so, and that's, that's difficult because it's, there's not, there's not a, a very specific thing that's easy to identify. It's more of a, a feeling you get looking at the image, like, oh, I, I remember that moment. They were they were more open. They were less guarded. They weren't posing as hard. It was it was something where the psychological armor came down for a minute. Um, it's I'm always looking for things like uh, eye connection to camera, where where you can tell. I mean, obviously the light needs to be good. The position of the head needs to be good. The expression needs to be good. But eye connection and some kind of some kind of openness yeah i was mostly asking about uh, the expression because you also included uh, the behind the scene footage mm -hmm. and i remember watching uh the, the first part i believe it was the man uh, sergio and you mm -hmm. included how you how you photographed him and there were uh, a lot of moments he was like smiling and stuff and i was like yeah th that must be a good shot uh, i would definitely pick something like that and then i i saw the final product the, the final photograph and i was thinking Well, well, maybe Sean was looking for something different in that. Mm. Uh, so, were there like a specific emotion you wanted to to have on your wall every day? In that case, I knew that one of the other mentors I photographed wouldn't laugh or smile. Okay, <laughs> it's because he's a more serious guy. He's lovely, but he's more just a more serious guy. And I thought. Um, he actually did, did end up laughing a bit in the session, but I thought I want these images to match with each other because it was kind of a project. Okay. So from a practical standpoint, I was like going, what's the expression I can get from each of them? And it's going to be a straight, serious expression. Um, I wanted them to feel like from a feeling point of view, I wanted them to feel quieter. I didn't want them to feel loud. I wanted them to feel because my memory of each of those people is always just the two of us sitting alone somewhere. Uh, in a room and I was going through something difficult, like painful is usually the thing that these people were helping me through at the time and remembering their faces, looking at me with, um, concern and trying to help and, and absorbing and listening and taking things in. So I almost wanted to conjure up as well, the feeling that I had in those rooms at those difficult times. So I had that in the back of my head as well. So there's the practical and there's me trying to replicate that feeling. And then in terms of like inspiration, I think I show in that video the the kind of mood board I was using. Mm. Um, and I'm using uh, photographs, but I'm also using a lot of classical portrait paintings as well. So I wanted a very classical feel to them. And you never have someone laughing in a classical painting. So I, just as an aesthetic choice as well, I also wanted to have that very classical, timeless feel to it. Uh, and so that's also why I took the more straight faced ones because it matched the mood board that I was creating for those images. So it was those kind of three things that I, it was the reason I chose the more serious expressions. Talking about that mood board, um, there is this notion or at least what I'm, you know, watching that a lot of photographers, um, have been pushing recently that a photographer should always wear a camera and surround himself or herself with photography and, Um, 
also when you talked about creativity, you said if you still feel like not creating, get up and do it anyway. Mm. Uh, where is the boundary of, of pushing a little bit too far? When you stop loving what you do, are you um, trying to work on your photography all the time or do you have like days when you are like, well, I'm gonna watch this movie and not think about anything or is it more like subconsciously, are you more subconsciously doing it all the time? I don't, I don't think about it that much. I mean, it's, it sounds like you're very hard on yourself. Like, I mean, honestly, like it sounds like you're trying to work out kind of like when it's right to, or wrong. there's no right or wrong. Like, do, do, and I'd say this to anybody, if, if photography is important to you, then yes, it's a good idea to always have your camera in your pocket. You don't have to take it out if you don't want to. Like uh, there are often days where I where I have my camera with me, but I don't feel like taking it out the bag, so I don't. But if, but if there's a day where I go out and I just left it at home because I deliberately left it at home, and then I see a photograph and I can't take it because I left my camera home, then I kick myself. <laughs> so I've just met for a practical purpose. I've always I've always just said I'll always have my camera with me, but I don't bully myself to take it out if I don't feel like taking photographs. If I don't feel like it, I don't feel like it. That's fine. But there's there's also a discipline side of it. Like I'm also aware that. Um, if I don't sometimes go out and take photographs when I don't feel like it, maybe I won't make many photographs. Yeah. Sometimes I have to push myself. If I'm waiting always to feel like it and I'm just sitting on the couch watching Netflix till I feel like it, am I going to take many photographs? No, but, but we understand this. Like if we, if, if we're, what about other things we care about? What, what if we have, um, what if we have a partner, like a girlfriend or a boyfriend and we're like, well, I don't feel like spending time with them today. I don't feel like working on my relationship today. And then the next, I don't feel like working on my relationship. I want to just watch Netflix. You're going to lose that relationship and you deserve to lose that relationship because you're only doing stuff when you feel like it and you're not making an effort and there's no discipline to, oh no, I need to work on this if I care about it. So to sit to sit at home and go, well, I'm only going to do stuff when I feel like it, you're not going to get anywhere. You have to push yourself on days where you don't feel like it as well to go, well, I don't feel like it today, but I'm going to make the effort. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go and maybe I won't get anything, but at least I can say I tried. And that's enough. That's enough just to get out the door with a camera and say I tried. But, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's a kind of, and this is a problem I feel with our, with our modern age is we have, we are so centered around our own emotions and we let them dictate when we do stuff and when we don't do stuff. And the idea that we'd ever do anything when we don't feel like doing something is terrible to us. But I, th I, I think that's kind of selfish and almost a little bit narcissistic to go like, well, I only do things when I feel like doing things. Well, but how would you get anything done? How would you, what, what happened to sacrifice? What happened to personal responsibility? Why would we ever think we deserve anything in life unless we're willing to sacrifice for it? And saying I only do things when I feel like doing things means we're not willing to sacrifice, in which case you're not going to get anywhere. Like, there are days when I don't go out and take photographs, of course, often, because I, I, I just like, well, today I'm going to be a little kinder to myself. I can feel I'm not in a good headspace. I'm going to do something else. But if I do that every day and only do stuff when I feel like doing it, there's, there's also all the in-between days where I kind of don't feel like it, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to go anyway, because I, I, I know that making anything takes sacrifice and doing things when I don't feel like doing stuff. So I think you have to work out where that balance is for you. And if you find that you're saying often, 
you know, if you if you're sitting on the couch for a year watching Netflix, going, I didn't take any photographs this year because I just didn't feel it this year and I'm really struggling. Then you've got mental health issues, and then you need to go and talk to somebody about that and take it seriously because your mental health is now getting in the way of you doing this thing that you say you love. You say you love photography. Then it's time to talk to somebody. But if you, if you, if you don't have mental health issues and it's just a feeling thing or a mood thing, then yeah, you need to push yourself sometimes to do things you don't feel like doing. <laughs> just like everything else in life, if you really care about it, it's going to take sacrifice. And from the perspective of professional photographer who do who does photography for a living, like nine to five job, and then mm. having photography as a hobby, do you separate those two? Or are you like, well, I have already taken like, so many photos today. I'm, you know, just leaving my house without camera. Mm -hmm. Well, when I used to work full time for companies as a photographer, so say when I was back shooting um, product photography, it almost stops being photography because it's not creative. So when I shot sofas, for example, I would have to, I'd have a big studio space. I'd have six, seven lights set up, but they'd stay, they wouldn't move. And the power would stay the same because the lighting and the position of the sofa and the angles of the photograph, the same six angles, I'd have to shoot those for every single sofa. So I would shoot, we'd, they'd be building them next door, they'd be bringing them into my studio. They'd lay them on marks on the floor so the angle was exactly the same. And I would take the same six angles every photograph, next one, next one. I'd do 50 of those in a day. There's no creativity to that sort of photography. So if I said, well, you know, well, I, I've, I've taken a thousand photographs today, so I don't have to take any more photographs. I haven't learned anything by taking those thousand photographs. And I knew that I would end up hating photography if that's the only photographs I took. So that's why I started street photography, because I started to go, well, I need to get back to creative photography or I'm going to hate this thing. So I started using my, my half hour walk from the train station home every day after work to take photographs just with my phone. I left the big camera in the back just with my phone to get back to just creating again. So yeah, I think I think maybe you're lucky enough that your daily photography work is really creative and you feel fulfilled by that and you keep growing. Then then that's really fortunate. But maybe your daily photography was very boring like it was for me, very technical. It didn't really feel creative. Then I knew I had to do more if I if I wanted to keep my photography developing. It's kind of uh You need to ask yourself those questions. Like, are you growing as a photographer? And now when your, um, let's call it like photography job is taking the same type of photographs you do when you, when you do it as a hobby, do you look at it more like I'm working all the time or do you look at it more like I'm doing my hobby all the time? I do what, what? I like all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's both. I'm really lucky. You know, I mean, I, I know how lucky I am that I get to take photographs of whatever I want. Um, and then I can sell them in a book of photography every year that people kindly buy that. I mean, that's that's a very privileged position to be in, I know. And and I it, it means that it does, it, you know, on, on those days where I don't feel like doing it, it helps me to get off the couch and go, well, I should go do it because it also is my job. And I go like, oh, I, you know, if I had a nine to five job, I couldn't phone in and go, Hey, I just feel like Netflix there. I feel like you've got to get up and go do yeah. your job, go do your job. That helps with motivation for sure. But I enjoy it as well. And I grow from it. And it's, and it's, it's exciting because I get to photograph anything I feel like. I mean, that's, it's just, I mean, I think every photographer wants that situation. It's, it's a very, but at the same time, 
the motivation has to all come from you. So there's more personal responsibility with that. There's no boss checking up on you. And if I want to put out a strong book of photography every year, I need to be disciplined. And that discipline all has to come from me. So I, I can't sit and do feeling-based photography all the time. I have to work at it if I want the book to be solid every year. Like last year, was most of it was in lockdown. I could have just used that as an excuse and go, well, guys, the photography book this year isn't very good because it was locked down, but you understand that. I didn't do that. I just said, listen, this is also my job and, and lots of people are working from home at the moment. I need to find ways to walk around my neighborhood and keep this going and keep developing and put out a strong book. So I've got a lot of photographs to choose the best from that make the book stronger. It's all kind of personal responsibility and self-discipline stuff, you know. Talking about photography books, mm, you cover also photography books on your channel. And when we talk about um, self-education, how do you actually learn from photography books when you get one? Just looking, just observing. How, how did other people do things? How did they light something? How did they, what did they see? What makes something, the best, the best photography books are the ones, or the best photographers I discover are the ones I don't understand straight away. The ones who I go, I'm not, sh I'm not sure why this is good. I don't really get it yet. Those are the ones I know I've got lots to learn from because I don't, I don't understand. I can, I can see it's good photography, but I don't get it straight away. If the more I spend time with those and look at them and look at compositional tricks they're using or how they use color or how they, how they draw subjects out in portraits, the ones I sit with longer over time, this is, there's always things to learn from them, but it's different for every photographer, you know, I mean. So you keep, you know, getting absorbed by the art or, you know, like, um, do you try to find an interview with the artist to let yeah. him explain what he did, why he did it, to understand someone else's art? Yeah, I mean, that, that's always helpful, isn't it? Because it's, uh, so someone like, um, when I discovered Don McCullen's work, for example, Uh, yeah, I, I found his work. Then I went to watch the documentary on him. Then I went to look up interviews with him. Then I read his his biography, Unreasonable Behavior. And the more information I can get about someone in their life and how they see the world, the more the richer their photography becomes. So for sure, I mean, it, the more information you can take in on anybody, the more you can understand why they see the world that way. If you just saw a black and white Don McCullen landscape photograph, you'd be like, wow, this is really grainy and moody and I'm not sure I like this landscape photography. It's very dark. But when you understand his upbringing in a poor family, the family struggles he's had for, through marriages, the, the war photography and the things that he's actually seen over his career and, and his own relationship with that and the fact that he calls his dark room a haunted place because he's struggling to, to get over the dark things that have happened, then you come back to his landscape photographs. You go, ah, now I get it. There's a lot of, there's a, there's a, li a whole life that's been lived behind this photograph that makes him see the world this way. And now it's beautiful. Now it's interesting. Now it's compelling. Can you see, um, do you take inspiration from that? Can you see it in your photographs? Something? Not, not as much. Like I know that, I know that my story, um, influences the way that I see the world and that comes out in the films that I make or, or the stuff I write or the photographs that I take. I know it's in there, but I, I want to get better with my own work about putting that stuff in more purposefully over time. 
because I think I've still got kind of a messy mix of, of, you know, the, the social media stuff and the, the, the game that gets played there. And, and, uh, also my kind of fascination with, with light and shadow and shape, but that doesn't really say anything yet. Um, so there's a long journey ahead of me. I know I'm still in a lot of ways. I'm just moving out of being a baby photographer into hopefully something more. There's, there's a lot for me to still work out and to put my worldview into my images or what I'm saying more deliberately. Other inspiration you talked about are movies. You mentioned Revenant when you talked about why you chose a slower pace for your YouTube videos. And uh, you also talked about Road to Perdition when you talked mm -hmm. about like composition and lighting and stuff. Uh, are there any movies you have seen recently that inspired you? Uh, recently... Gosh, I feel like I haven't been watching much recently. Um, not really. I, I, something I am noticing, I'm going back through, this is more of a general thing, but I, I, I found a podcast recently called The Rewatchables, which is a really good podcast, where they go, it's a group of people, and they go back and they watch old movies. And for one episode, they'll unpack an old movie and talk about is it worth going back and rewatching basically? And they'll talk about the actors that were used and where the script came from and how they, the, who the cinematographer was and the look of it. And they'll analyze different scenes. It's really interesting. So what I've been doing is when they do an episode on an old movie. So I've been watching things like recently, like fight club, they went back to a uh, talented Mr. Ripley, um, last of the Mohicans. I've been going back and watching those old movies and then listening to the episodes uh, alongside them. because it's kind of a fun thing to do. And what I'm noticing is that the style of cinematography from the late 90s or the 90s, early 2000s to now has has changed quite a lot. And it's become more naturalistic now. So my favorite cinematographers are people like um, Roger Deakins, Emmanuel Lubezki, um, Conrad Hall to a point, although he doesn't really make this point as well. Um, uh, Wally Pfister, Hoyte van Hoytem are those people. Um, and the style, their style of photography, certainly four of those five are, are much more naturalistic in the way that they light and put things together. Whereas, you know, people like, uh, Jim Jarnish and, and Conrad Hall, to some extent, they, they lit things to look beautiful, but the lighting didn't have to make sense as much back in those nineties images. So you'll have these like crazy bright hair lights on the back of a subject, but they're in a room and there's no window behind them. So where is that light coming from? It doesn't make visual sense, but they didn't care back then. It just, they just wanted the light to look beautiful. Whereas now it feels like the more modern movies that are being made, unless it's like some kind of blockbuster or something, but the more modern movies are being made, they're trying harder to motivate the light sources and make it make sense where that light's coming from and still make it look beautiful. So it feels a lot more naturalistic and believable, which I kind of like. So It's definitely something I'm learning looking at films uh, in general over the last kind of year or so. And do you think there is a trend maybe with the modern blockbusters, like you mentioned, to please uh, as many people as possible? Or has that always been the case and only like some movies has been made for, let's say, art enthusiasts? Like, let's say, Avengers, it's definitely yeah. uh, directed more towards masses i would say but that's always been true i think i think there've always been films that are made to be more art house quiet films and they've always been blockbusters i mean you go back to like spartacus with like um 
like years ago with with kind of uh with a claymation skeletons running around fighting each other i mean that's what are we talking like i don't know 40 50 years ago there's a blockbusters you know there's a you know back to the 70s and star wars you know there's a blockbusters They've they've always been around the the blockbuster versus the other thing and and good because there should be variety in cinema there should be something that you could take your kids to that's just flashy colorful and fun and has got lots of action in it there should be something for teenagers to go to who just want to see you know like sex gore and violence because that's what they're interested in that age there should be something for for old people like me to go watch because we want a quieter movie that makes you think and a better story there's there's got to be everything and it's good that there is yeah I think. I mean, the Marvel the Marvel movies is not a new phenomenon. It's always uh-huh. been around. There's always been around. Some version of that has always been there. You know? And is that a reason for the art to suffer? I mean, I'm not the one who should be criticizing, but let's say how Martin Scorsese said that Marvel is not mm-hmm. cinema, right? And you see those two completely different takes on, uh, let's see, the Joker and then the movies and then we when we compare the budgets of those movies it's uh it's like i'm sometimes wondering why didn't they make it more like you know it just seems to be driven to the goal to get the biggest effect the, the biggest earnings but we we can see different approaches can also achieve pretty like brilliant movies right Yeah, but again, like you, it's the same reason you can't get angry at social media. They're businesses. The films are businesses. They they don't care. Quite frankly, they don't care about art. They care about <laughs> making money. They're studios. So so to get angry at them that they're not supporting artists when they're businesses is silly. That's not what their purpose is. It's not why they're there. They're not, they're not even pretending that's what they care about. They care about um, making money. So Marvel movies will always make much more money. So they get much bigger budgets. Now, It's not the studio's fault. If you want to blame anyone, it's human beings' fault because we're more interested in that kind of stuff in general, it seems, by the numbers. In which case, do you want to get angry at all of humanity for liking flashy blockbusters? Well, we can, but it's not <laughs> going to go anywhere. It doesn't help. Instead, I think it's... I don't think art suffers because I think those those more artistic movies will always be made. They'll always have smaller budgets because they most people won't want to give it the patience it requires. Um And and they won't sell as well in general, and they're more risky to make because they're not sure how many people they'll get in as an audience. Um, but they'll get made, um, and more people are more interested in robots hitting each other in Transformers movies. <laughs> like I'm sad about that, but that that that's I can't change that. That's what most people like. It might just mean I'm slightly different to the average person. I don't want to go watch a Transformers movie. It doesn't interest me. But but lots of people do. I can't look down on them for that. Good for them if that's what they enjoy. That's the world we live in. And let the studios make the movies that make them money. But as long as as long as those other films that are are trying to tell a story in a in a quiet to a more deliberate way keep getting made, I don't care who they get made by, and I'll always support those. Maybe not angry, but is it really the top of the the game you can get with that much money? Like you 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 throw that much money on a, on a movie and this is the best you can get? Or is it really the best choice they could have made when they wanted the biggest earnings? Well, you put put yourself in their shoes. Like you pretend you're the studio. Yeah, that's what got, I'm wondering. Would I would I do yeah. it that way? Would you do that that way? If you no, were I, if, if I was them, motivated. I would. Yeah. 
No, because because my studio would go bankrupt. This is the thing is they're business people. So they know they have to make X amount of money every year to keep the studio going. If you go, well, I'm just going to I'm going to be in a studio executive and I'm going to be just a beautiful artist. I'm going to I'm going to throw millions of dollars at all the little art house films that I hope people go watch. And I'm not making any Avengers movies this year because I'm such a beautiful artist. <laughs> Your studio is going to be bankrupt. You're not going to have a studio anymore because no one's going to go watch those smaller movies that you've spent stupid amounts of money on and you won't have a studio anymore. So I understand why they do it. They need to keep the studio going and they need to make money. You could argue they make too much money and all that. I, I don't know the numbers. I don't understand. But I know why. I know the reason they do that. And I, I can't hate them when I don't have any of the information or be upset that that's the way the world is. I just have to make sure with my money that I go support and pay for tickets on films that I believe in, that, that are those kind of films that I think are more masterfully made. That's That's where I can make a difference. Uh, talking about your projects, you publish a collection of 90 images every year, right? Mm-hmm. And But those images are mainly connected by um, just being street photographs or the images you take during that year, kind of like a, a journal. Um, would you like to maybe do something uh, more like a reportage? I know you said you maybe... Uh, trying to do something like that like documentary photography because you also said uh your dream job used to be photojournalist right mm-hmm. would you like yeah, to I've get n- yeah yeah i've never i've never done i've never put out a book or a project into the world that's on one topic that i've worked on for a long period of time so that's what i'm looking at now is how i can go about doing that just focus on one thing and try tell that story well i mean i'll keep doing the other stuff around it I'll keep putting out the collection books, which are just sort of a, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. It's whatever I saw in that year. It's just a collection of of the better images from that year. But that's not that's not a monograph. It's not a this is my work or this is saying something. So yeah, the next step is definitely to go. What can I, what can I find? What story can I tell that I I'm going to spend a year or two years or three years just plugging away at and trying to say something as best I can. That's definitely the next part of my journey. And do you want to share like a sneak peek or let's say like your dream project if you had, you know, um, money or, you know, possibilities you could travel anywhere? What what would it be? Well, what I'm looking at where I am now, and this is why I I had to move out of London first, is looking around Yorkshire here. It's it's a more rural part of of the UK. Um, And there are people here who do things the old way. So that's why I'm trying to find those people and look at uh, a project that's kind of a portrait, but an environmental portrait project where I get people working in their spaces where they where they do particular things the old way. So that's what I'm starting to look at as, as, as something going forward. Okay. And other than that, do you have like photography goals, like um, maybe more exhibitions or I don't know what can a f- photography goal be for you? Where where do you want to move your photography? Uh, in a, in in a couple of years, I'd love to have a photography book out. That's a book like the the, the collections I put out. I, I don't call them books. I call them like fancy zines. You know, they're okay. But like a, a proper hardcover one topic. And yeah, I would like it if I could do an exhibition around those sort of things as well. But again, that's like just a very loose goal because I haven't really started yet. All I'm doing at the moment is the research and starting to reach out to people and talk to people about how I could go about this. But I'm a long way off that. But that's that's the next 
that's definitely the next goal for me is to do something where I can, I can have a book that I put my name on that this is Sean Tucker's photography. I've never done that. It's, it's always been looser collections. And would you self-publish it or maybe, because uh, I think you self-publish your zines or your, mm. uh, would you self-publish it or go with the publisher? I, I'm not sure at the moment. It's an interesting one because I'm, I have self-published and I am in the middle of going through a publisher for the book that I'm doing at the moment. And honestly, it's been a very rocky experience. So I might decide to self-publish it, maybe. Uh, it just, it really, it really depends. If the right publisher came along who could help me get my work to more people, that's a good reason to go with a publisher. But I think everybody knows if you go through a publisher, you make a lot less money. Like give, give up the idea that you're going to make any money going through a publisher. If you want to make money for yourself and support yourself as an artist and you've got an audience, it's always, always a better idea to self-publish if you, if you can do it. And what was the biggest struggle when self-publishing? What is the hardest part? Like the design, distribution, printing? All those things are tricky. Yeah. I mean, I'm lucky that I've got a friend of mine who's a talented designer. So he helped me with the design on it. Uh, organizing a printer is hard, you know, getting samples and working out what those, what that printing process is going to do to your images, um, working out, making sure that the company actually can produce consistent quality across the board. Uh, and then, um, yeah, working out costing, how are you going to cost this thing? How much is it going to cost you to print this book? And then how much can you charge for it? The distribution thing I've handed over to a company in the last few years, because I was trying to do it all myself, sort of sitting at home and you know, packaging books and writing out addresses and taking suitcases full of books down to the post office <laughs> to do it all. It was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. So I've now given that to a fulfillment center who I pay and they do all the packaging and sending out and all that kind of stuff, which makes it much easier. It takes a lot, gives me a lot more time back every year. Obviously you lose money doing it that way, but you've got to balance all these things and decide if you're going to spend that much time doing it yourself, is it worth paying someone else? And then the customer service stuff, that's hard. If you self-publish, you have to do your own customer service. So you have to deal with things when books don't arrive. You have to refund people. You have to send them new books out. And you have to deal with people who weren't happy because someone, you know, some postman destroyed their book, putting it through the post box, like different things like that. You've got to take care of all that yourself if you're going to self-publish. It's all your job. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have some questions from the viewers. Cool. Um, Andrzej Wachek asked, do you have in no, your no, equipment, right. do you have in your equipment ghost loadout? Ghost loadout. <laughs> so Andre is my, my, um, call of duty, the dance war zone buddy. So he's, ah, okay. he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's asking, he's asking a computer game question. Ah, so. Okay. You also, <laughs> he's you, teasing. you also wrote in your, uh, in your recent book that you take inspiration from uh, video games, right? The last of us part two, you talked about it in the book. Oh yeah. Yeah. So no, I mean that that's more to do with art in general. The last of us part two, I just thought was a, a masterclass in storytelling. Mm. It was uh, amazingly done that there. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't play a lot of video games, but the ones I really like playing are the story based ones where you feel like you're in a movie. So, um, that was an incredible they they did something in that video game i haven't seen done in films where without giving it away for anyone who hasn't played it i mean they they sink you into darkness like pretty much immediately and then they they really make you conflicted about this terrible thing that's happened and they make you see both sides 
of a conflict equally throughout the video game so that you don't really know what you want to happen by the end or, or, or who you're rooting for. And it's, it's brilliantly done, like absolutely brilliantly done. And it, I, I was so impressed with that game. It, it, it caused a lot of issues online, it seemed, because a lot of people were, were very angry about what they did and they, they expected things to go a different way and be, everyone had an opinion. But because I thought... Because of the story? Yeah. Oh, okay. That what people's expectations about what they thought should happen in the story. Um, and the, the film, the, the game makers just completely subverted everyone's expectations. And uh, I love things like that. I like watching films where you're not really sure how you feel about it by the end because I think it challenges you. And this game, for me, challenged me in a way that no film has ever done, which I was really impressed by. That was very clever. Okay, so is that like the, the, the best game you have ever played in the sense of the storytelling? Absolutely. Narratively, absolutely. Yeah, definitely made an impact. So you are more like a single player than, than multiplayer. Game. Oh, yeah, I love playing. Yeah, I mean, Andre Andre is asking because uh, yeah, we we like we play Warzone through lockdown because it's the way you hang out with people is you get in Warzone and talk to each other <laughs> while you're shooting each other, okay. which is which is fun. So that's the multiplayer stuff. But when I'm sitting at home, I want to play a game. Yeah, it's the it's the story driven stuff I really like. Yeah. Okay, on a console like a PlayStation or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I've got like a PlayStation Four. Yeah. Uh, there is a question. What difference do you? want your photos to make if any I'd, i'd like the documentary stuff that i want to do going forward to tell good stories and i and I, there's also some of the things that i want to talk about in the photography will be about what we're losing and leaving behind because the world's changing so fast and i'd like to draw back draw people's eye back to those things that we're losing and ask get them asking themselves a question about whether we should be losing that or we should be making more of an effort to save those things. So that's something. But again, that's like very early days in this project. In all honesty, I don't think my photography up until now has said very much. So I don't know if I die today. I don't think I don't think I'm leaving photography behind that does talk about very much yet. It's all it's all kind of going forward that I want to make more of an effort in that and be more deliberate about it. So yeah, it's it's still definitely evolving that. Um, what purpose of what is the purpose of making photographs of creating art maybe what is it for you well I mean I talk about I talk about this in the book that I've just written like I think I think that art is our attempt to make make order out of the chaos to because so much of lived reality is stuff that we don't have any control over And I think when we feel out of control or we don't understand, we make things and we share them with each other. And we go, maybe this, maybe that. And, and when we see something someone else has made, it connects with us in a way that makes us feel something or think something or it challenges our thinking. And then it makes us think about reality and how things are. And any time that we make something that creates more order in the world or even describes the chaos in the way that we make things, it's us, it's us ordering the chaos a bit more and sharing it with each other for comfort almost to say we're in this together. This is all our human experience. This is all um, the things that we make are all us describing life to each other in different ways. And I think it's the same reason, you know, we tell stories or, or we, we share conversations with each other. Art are just creative conversations in different mediums. Uh, my last question would be, when you look back on your photography journey, 
maybe at the time you took your seagull photograph. Have you ever imagined how this is going to play out? Where I am now? <laughs> yeah, like no, what were true. your thinking at that time that you maybe wished you would be a photographer and now where you are at? Was it like different? Did you imagine you would end up doing what you're doing now? No, no, I don't think so. I mean, I, I mean, I, you might know, I, I mean, I was a priest for 10 years. Like yeah. that was a, a whole part of my my journey that, you know, but I didn't see that coming at that age either. And and I've, I've kind of learned now to stop trying to predict it and just react to what actually happens and and try to keep moving forward one step at a time. I I don't know where I'll be in 10 years from now. It won't be what I'm doing now. I'm sure it'll change again. So I've learned to kind of hold things a lot looser and not try and predict. It's all right to have goals and I think it's good to have goals, but it's also it's also a good idea to hold those goals loosely because when they don't work out and most of my goals that I've had for my life haven't worked out and I've had to adjust, it's a good idea to to be adaptable and to be able to change direction and move towards something new. So no, I didn't predict any of this and I can't predict what comes next. <laughs> okay. Thank you. So You're welcome. That would be it for today. Thank you for joining me today. Thank You're welcome, you. man. Thank you once again for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, make sure to subscribe whenever you're listening to it. Please give this podcast five star rating, review, and please take a screenshot and throw it out on your Instagram story so other people might find it as well. I'm very happy you are tuning in for another episode of Podcast About Photography. Until next time.